Good morning, Life Church Livonia. Man, I have had quite the week. So here's the deal. My wife and I were preparing to have our baby induced early, mind you, on September 28th, which as you know, is not today. It's actually 10 days from now. But lo and behold, earlier this week, Amber went in for just a normal checkup appointment and they went, you might have that baby induced today. And we said, oh, and sure enough, this week she was born. Our daughter, Sophia Karis Rahel, was born this week on uh, the 15th of September. So I am super grateful for that. But you might also notice I'm gonna stick closer to my notes today, and that is why. So welcome everybody. If we haven't met yet, my name is Alex, and uh, I'm a new father. Thank you for your applause, I can feel it from here. Uh, and this is week one of a new series we're doing here at Life Church Livonia called Better Together. Over the last four years, I think that phrase, better together, uh, has gone from feeling kind of true and noble. Like I think of 9-11, uh, which we just commemorated last week, and uh, the falling of the Twin Towers. And I, I remember that sense of like, man, we're, there's a unity here. Like this is painful. And in this pain, we are uniting. And then I compare that to the COVID-19 pandemic and go, wow. <laughs> I think the phrase better together has gone from feeling uh, true and noble and good to kind of trite and uh, maybe even untrue. People feeling like, really though? Are we, are we really better together? And I mean, I, I just talked to so many folks who go, I mean, do I really need these people in my life though? I mean, my life would be way easier without these burdensome friends who are always going through some kind of problem because, you know, more people, more problems. And I, I don't want more problems. <laughs> I want an easier life. And I feel people going, do I really need these political people, right? Like, I mean, I'm sick of both the political division in the, in the country and the people who are causing it, right? I'm sick of those people. Wouldn't the country be way better without them? Do you really think our country is better with their ideas on the table, right? Or do I really need these selfish and messed up people? They're so messy. They're constantly complicating my life. Every time I have plans, they get interrupted and I have to adapt. You really think we're better together? And I'm like, Carol, those are your kids. They can hear you. You know what I mean? So <laughs> all of us have people that we feel like, are we really better together though? For real? Like, are we better together or are they just more complicated? And then there's the whole church aspect of that. How many of you, especially over the last four years, have felt like, do I really need these church people? I mean, so many of them are such hypocrites. They talk about the love of Jesus, but they're not known for it. And they can be so difficult and judgmental and harsh and unloving. And, and the question we're looking at in this series, in this world that's so divided and broken, what do we mean by saying things like we're better together? What do we mean by saying things like we're better together? It often seems like wishful thinking that's based not in reality, but in some idyllic sentimentality that people just don't have time or patience for anymore. When I was thinking about this week, thinking about today, uh, and thinking about are we really better together even with people that I really don't like and make my life harder, uh, I thought about a time in college I was part of a touring worship group called Wellspring. And it was made up of a group of students that had all uh, applied to be a part of uh, a touring group for this summer. And it, it, when I was at Spring Arbor, it was very competitive. And I remember <laughs> that Sam Parham and I both tried out. You know, we, he helped me play. He played with me at my audition. Over Christmas break, we're calling each other like, hey, man, did you get in? And he's like, yeah, I did. Did you? And we're like, yeah. You know, so we were so excited to be on, on the crew for the summer. And then I met my team. You know, and my team was made up of a lot of people that 
I struggled with. You know, there, there was the, the smiley, laughing girl that like smiled and laughed so much it was like, even when it wasn't appropriate, like, you know, you'd be like, oh man, I just got a phone call that my dog died. And she'd be like, oh, oh no. <laughs> just like, that's not appropriate right now. <laughs> or the, the cool jock with the beautiful voice, the, the Tro Troy Bolton from uh, High School Musical. Hey bro, how are you doing today? La, I can sing and score basketball points. You know, that's this kind of like guy. And I was like, oh brother, I'm gonna have a hard time with him this summer. And then there was this enigmatic, sarcastic dude. You know, you could never tell like, are you serious right now or are you joking with me? You know, like he'd fi we'd finish rehearsing a song and he'd go, all right, that song was pretty good. I just wish you knew how to play guitar better. And I'd go, that's a joke, right? You know what I mean? Like, like it's so hard to tell. And then um, there was this happy noob on the team. Like it was her first time ever doing her role, ever. She was running sound for us. And she'd just be like, I'm so glad to be here. What does this button do? It's like, that's the power button. Do not touch that. So after the first meeting with this crew, I was like, man, uh, this is, this is going to be rough. And, um, <laughs> and then there was me, right? I had auditioned on acoustic guitar because that was all I knew how to play up to that point in time. And so uh, when I got the email saying, Alex, you've been accepted for this summer of going on tour with Wellspring, I, I just assumed I was going to be playing acoustic guitar. And then at that first band meeting, as I'm starting to kind of scope out the dynamics of the group and going, we are headed for a cliff. This is, I'm about to watch a car accident and hopefully I'm not in the car, right? Like this is going to be a clashing of personalities. I, I go up to the, the band leader. I say, hey, so here's a deal. I just was wondering, are you playing acoustic this summer or am I? You know, because I'm comfortable on it. I, I really like to. And he goes, oh, you're not playing acoustic. Again, couldn't quite tell if he was joking. And I said, oh. Well, are you, are you playing acoustic then? And he goes, oh no, we're both playing electric. We're not playing acoustic. No one's playing acoustic this summer. And I was like, cool, 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 good talk, good talk, love it. Amazing. The thing was, I didn't know how to play electric guitar. <laughs> and so it sent me into this panic, you know, where I'm like pulling out the, uh, the Best Buy electric guitar I bought in seventh grade, you know, <laughs> I'm like trying to figure out how to make it work. I had to buy an amplifier and pedals. And then it was just so humiliating. I, I showed up at our first rehearsal with this Best Buy, like cherry red knockoff of a Gibson SG guitar. You don't have to know what it is. Just know it's cool. And I had the Best Buy version. And then the band leader looks at me and then he pulls out the actual Gibson SG that my guitar is the Best Buy knockoff of. And I was like, I'm going to die inside. So we had this bizarre, bizarre mix of personalities on this team. And I realized I just got hired to play an instrument I don't even know how to play yet. And I was very stressed. However, throughout the summer, not only did our group not have the conflicts I was positive we were going to encounter, uh, we worked really well together. And even when they annoyed me and I rolled my eyes at them and I got flustered and were insecure around them, the music was so much better with each person in the band. And without any of them, I may have been more comfortable, but the music would have suffered. And I realized at the end of the summer, man, even though I'm not, you're not the people I would have chosen to hang out with, we really are better together. And not only that, but because the band leader challenged me to grow as a musician, playing electric guitar is one of my favorite things in the world to do now. And I never would have learned if he hadn't pushed me to do it and threw me out of my comfort zone mercilessly, by the way. <laughs> and so throughout this series, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at this idea of better together because it's not just about am I more comfortable. 
It's about, is it truly better? And are we making each other better? And so some of the sermons in this series are going to be around why we're better together. And some of the sermons in this series are going to be around how we're better together. Um, because it doesn't come natural. I don't know if you know, you may live with other human beings and know, wow, this is a lot of work. You are annoying. <laughs> I don't always like you. And being better together isn't something that just happens. It takes work. And so we're going to talk about both why and how sermons in this series. And today is a why sermon. And, and I want to help us understand today why we are better together, why we say things in church like we are better together. And this is the reason, this is the big idea I want you to grasp onto today. We were made to be better together. We were made to be better together. The idea roots itself. This idea that we were made for this roots itself in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. And it reads this in the book of Genesis. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now notice here, God is referring to himself as us, and he's referring to human beings. It says man, but it doesn't mean one male. It means mankind, right? Them. So God created man in his own image. Now all of a sudden that us God was saying is a singular. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Now again, the, the, uh, the part referring to humanity is singular. Male and female, he created them. All of a sudden we're talking about humanity as a group again. And God blessed them and saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So we've, I, I want to point out that in this book, in this very first part, both humanity and God are referred to interchangeably as them, as him, as plural, and as singular, right? As plural and as singular. What's going on with that? And, and who is this us that God is creating man in the image of? Well, one of the first major conflicts in church history was over discerning the theology of what we call the Trinity. Okay, this is one of the biggest Christian theologies in existence, and the church fought over this for years. And the Trinity is a theology that answers the question, what is the nature of God? Because we have all these different references in Scripture that God says the Lord is one. There's one God, right? Christianity is a monotheic religion. One God. We don't worship a pantheon of gods. Right? So is Islam and so is Judaism. Monotheism. Right? But yet God says us. And then we get scriptures like this. Right? We, we see here in Genesis 1 and in John 1 uh, a mirror image. And these kind of things occur in the Bible. And this began to stump the church. We read in, in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of deep. And the spirit spirit of God. So we have God and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light, that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And now let's compare that to John chapter one. In the beginning, it starts the same, was the word. So instead of God, it's saying the word, putting the word in God's place. The word was with God in the beginning and the word was 
God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, poetically, kind of talking about the first creation of light, right? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here we see reference to both God, the Spirit of God, and the Word that is God, right? Because God speaks light into existence. And what John 1 is saying, the words, the, the words that came out of God's mouth is also an extension of who he is. And that word is Jesus. And then we see again in Matthew chapter 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God. So we have Jesus, the Spirit of God, descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven, notice this voice from heaven, is not Jesus, and it's not the spirit that's descending. It's somewhere else. This voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Here again, we, Jesus is referred to as my son, meaning the speaker is putting himself in the position of the father. It's from instances like these that this theology of the Trinity begins to develop throughout church history. And the language that develops is that God is one essence, right? Imagine one fire, like on a candle, but three persons. So imagine uh, if you had a candlestick and a fire lit, and then you put another candle into that fire and another candle into that fire, so you have three candles sharing one flame. How many fires are there? You could say there's three, you could also say there's one. Do you see? And, and every analogy that we use to understand the Trinity kind of breaks down at some point. And if you push them too far, they kind of all become heresy. Uh, because God at his core is incomprehensible, meaning that without his self-disclosure, we cannot understand him. That's why the Bible is so important to Christians, because we just recognize God is infinite in content, not just in time. And so unless he self-discloses, there's just things about him that are unknowable. And truly, without his self-disclosure, he's totally unknowable. And the Bible is God's self-disclosure in interactions with his people. So you may go, okay, that's cool. That's an interesting survey of the Trinity. What does that have to do with being better together? Here's what I want you to see in this. God is not just the original being. He is the original community. God is not just the original being. He is the original community. The Trinity isn't just a one singular thing. Church history and Orthodox theology describe the Trinity as a original, perfect, self-giving, mutually submitting, mutually serving community. And being made in God's image means that we were also made to exist in community. Which is why the first not good in all of creation is it's not good that people should be alone. Because when that person is alone, they're not fully living in to the image of God. In Genesis chapter 2, it expands on this. It says this, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. 
So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. <clears throat> this is a powerful passage for a few reasons. In this passage, we witness the beginning of the first marriage. Eve is presented to Adam by her father God and given to Adam in marriage to increase and multiply on the earth, which is one of the missions God gave human beings. <clears throat> but this passage is not just about marriage. This passage is also about the human design. God formed human beings in his image. He's Trinitarian. He is a community that exists within himself. And God's community is not a community of different things. It's a community of the same kind. The Spirit is not a different kind of God or a lesser God. The Spirit is God. The Son is not a different kind of God or lesser God. The Son is God. The Father is not a different kind or lesser God. The Father is God. Right? It's a community of the same kind. So it follows that if humans are made in God's image, we would also be made for a community of the same kind. That's where Eve comes in. Adam and God look through all animal creation for a suitable helper to help Adam in this journey. And one of the interesting things I just want to point out about this, this can sometimes get used to um, de demote women to a secondary place in, in humanity. But I don't think that's what's happening here at all. God gives human beings this mission to be his agents on the earth, to subdue the earth, to take care of the earth, to be the gardeners of the garden, if you will, right? That's why Adam names all the animals. And that's part of, I think, why we love pets. We were made to take care of the things God's made. That's why gardening is so rewarding. That's why having a pet is so awesome. This is just part of the human design. And so Eve isn't made to help Adam just do whatever Adam feels like doing, right? She's not Adam's helper for Adam's sake. She and Adam are helping each other fulfill God's commission to the human person, right? So I want to zoom in on this idea of a suitable helper. In verse 18, it says, The Lord said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That phrase, suitable helper, is this Hebrew phrase called Azer Kenegdo. The word Azer means helper or aid. This word is often used to describe God when he's coming to the help of Israel. God, you are Azer. It's also used uh, in military alliances, like when Israel is leaning on Egypt and they're hoping Egypt will be their aid in battle. Egypt is their Azer. Um, it, it happens a lot throughout scripture. And that word is also used of Eve. The Eve is somehow to Adam, a helper, an aid, a rescuer, a resource he does not have within himself to do what needs to be done. And then there's K in the Kenegdo part. K means in the same way as, denoting that Eve is like Adam. They are of the same nature. They're both human people. The Neged means the opposite of or in opposition to. So Azer is this helper aid that K is that is like Adam, but then the neged means 
but she's also the opposite of Adam and is opposing to Adam. And not in a just like combative sense for power, but think of your bicep and your tricep, right? One has to pull while the other extends and vice versa in order to make the whole arm work, right? That they're not the same. They're different muscles that work in opposition to each other that is cooperative, right? And because they're working oppositionally to each other in a way that is cooperative, they're able to accomplish a task neither could do alone. And then there's the dough. And the dough just refers to, like it's a pronoun, it means he, it, they. So altogether, this suitable helper that Eve perfectly is, is this Ezra Konegdo, which means one who is like Adam and will help him by being his opposite and even being in opposition to him at times to accomplish God's mission for humanity to take care of the garden, to be the gardeners of the garden he has made. That's the whole point here. So men and women are made in God's image, in the image of this Trinitarian community. Meaning we were made with both a God-shaped whole, right? Because we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's three. And then in the human existence, we have God, men, and women. It's this image of the Trinity. It's not a perfect thing. You know, I'm not saying like, oh, because Adam's exactly like Jesus and he's Jesus to the Holy Spirit that is women. I'm not saying that. It's not that clear. The Bible uh, gives hints at those types of things, but it never sets hard lines like this is the role and this is your job to fulfill it in that, in that kind of Trinitarian way. Um, but what it does say, <clears throat> what it is implying is we have both a God-shaped hole in our hearts as people and we have a people-shaped hole in our hearts as people. We were made for both a relationship with God and we were made to be in a community with other human beings. We were made to be better together. We were made to be better together. Literally, it's in the human design. It's not just some idealistic, you know, oh, that would be great one day. Oh, look at this guy, really big into unity, aren't you? It's not about that at all. It's about that we were designed as people to be better together. Because we cannot do on our own what we can do as a community. Amber and I, like I said, just had our baby girl this week and <clears throat> she was induced two weeks before her original induction date and three weeks before her actual due date. And uh, I, I really, as I was writing this sermon, I was sitting in the hospital room with Amber as the induction was ongoing. And I just thought about our baby girl, Sophia, and thought she was made to need us. Is this child, is this baby, it's not, she was made to need her parents. She was made to be able to drink her mother's milk and get nourishment from that. She was made to need our support. 